I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Sam Monson here, as always. Trevor Sikima is our uh, guest host. Yes. Steve, 16 hours worth of minivan, got himself to Boston, Ooh. four kids. He's there. We're not going to make him do the Wednesday show while he's on vacation, quote unquote. Uh, so you're stepping in. Yeah, to keep with the Steve baseball theme, coming out of the bullpen yes. now to do the podcast. I, mm-hmm. I stayed up all night trying to think of that, so I hope everybody nice. enjoyed the baseball pun there. But it was worth it. Yeah, you, uh, you guys are actually the first podcast show to have me on since I was hired full-time. Really? Which I, well, I, I did a guest appearance on Collinsworth Show, but uh, yeah. That feels um, like it counts, you know. I mean, it does. It does count. I, did, I didn't. I, but this this one's more of like. A, <laughs> shout out, Chris. Appreciate you. Uh, no, this one's more of like. A, I'm in the chair full time. Like I'm actually right. doing the yeah, pod. Yeah. So like Austin and Mike, George and Eric have have yet to do that. So you guys have now become my favorite PFF podcast because I'm going to do that. Perfect. Well, that works. That works for me. I like it. Um, so. We've got, you know, packed Wednesday show as per usual. We're going to talk about uh, Monday Night Football, the Dolphins and the Saints. Oh, do we have to? A little bit. A little okay. bit. Okay, okay, okay. There's no Thursday Night Football to preview, though. Normally we're doing that as well. That's, that's gone now. We're into this, this whole uh, get the slate out of the way in the weekend deal mm. for the final couple of weeks. Um, and then we'll hit a few different topics. We've got some emails to cover. But let's start off up top with the sad passing of John Madden. Mm. Um, me and Steve covered this today on the PFF NFL Daily. So you can get Steve's um, take on it if you're, if you're listening to the Daily, if you go to YouTube or the audio version. But I think it's, there's no harm doing it on this show as well, particularly with you know, a different voice in the chair. So, I mean, man, that was, that was a bummer. Yeah, no, it's just in- incredibly sad. I mean, th- this is, so many people have said it on social media and on Twitter and everything, but football and, and, and Madden are synonymous. Like they, they're just, yeah. they, they go with each other. And, and it's because of so many different things. People talked about, okay, well, if you were born in, um, maybe I'll guess I'll say from my point of view, my grandparents' generation, you knew him as a coach. If you were in my dad's generation, it was a broadcaster. If you were in my generation, it is more from the video game. So no matter where you have been over the last 50 years as a football fan, you have known John Madden. John Madden has impacted your life one way or the other. And, um, uh, Ray Ratto, uh, he works for Defector. He, he writes for Defector. He had a really great article about Madden and just trying to kind of encapsulate everything he was. And um, he, he had this quote and it said, only John Madden would have lived John Madden's life. And I think that's a really great way to put just how special this dude was in so many ways, how he was him. And, you know, we, we hear that all the time when people say, like, you know, you got to be you. You know, you are unique. You are the only you on the planet. And it's up to you to kind of shine in those ways that show your individuality to make your difference on the world. And John Madden just 
did that in his own way in so many different forms of football. And I just think that's what made him so special. You hear that kind of criteria for the Hall of Fame all the time that, you know, can you tell the story of pro football without mentioning this guy? Right. And I don't like that as a benchmark for getting into the Hall of Fame. I just just doesn't feel fit for purpose to me. But you really can't with John Madden. And not just that, but like in multiple different areas, right? He is a Hall of Fame coach. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, yes. arguably the best color commentator to ever do it. Yeah. Um, and his his name is synonymous with this, with the football game, the football game. Like when he came out with John Madden football or when him and EA came out with it, there had been a bunch. Like it, it's not like it was the first, right? And kind of cornered the marketplace and, and went off that right. way. Yeah. There had been a lot of them and there was this kind of everyone realized that there was something there in terms of football and video games, but no one had made it work in a way that that was really successful and would be the future going forward. And Madden being Madden, you know, and, and insisting on certain things made that video game franchise um, gave it staying power right? right, and made it last into this giant franchise that it's become. So, yeah, there, there are three completely different areas where he belongs in the Hall of Fame just by themselves. And he went and sort of did them, you know, almost sequentially. It is kind of crazy to think of being that successful in three completely different areas mm-hmm. of your life. Like mm-hmm. most people just try and get good at one thing once right, in their right, life. Right. Right. And consider that a huge success. Yes. Madden yes. did it three times. And, and I think again that that's such a testament to who he was and how genuine he was as a person to no matter what he was doing in football, he was doing it successfully because people put him in positions because of what they perceived him to be. They said, okay, we think John Madden's the right person for this job because of what we've seen. It was never a pull the rug from underneath you. Oops, just kidding, I fooled you. Like, I'm actually not that good of a coach. I'm actually not that good of a broadcaster. He was him the whole time, and that's why I think he was able to have these multiple stops, have this accomplishment, have this longevity. And there's this kind of consistent level of integrity to everything he did as well. Yes, 100%. So he was one of the most successful coaches of all time. You know, incredible win percentage. Had the Raiders in the AFC playoff, AFC championship game every year. And like I know, the Patriots have kind of warped everybody's sense of what that actually means. You know, the Patriots are in there every well, year. What right. the hell? Yes. Right? Yes. Belichick and Brady ruined our perception. Of right. Everything. And while it's really impressive now, back when he was coaching, like you could you could assemble these dominant dynastic teams. And they didn't go anywhere because there was no free agency. In the, you know what I mean? Like, right, sure. So he was doing this at the same time <clears throat> and in the same conference as the Steel Curtain defense yes. of Pittsburgh yes. and the undefeated 72 Dolphins team. Like, these were all teams that he had to get past to get to the AFC Championship game every yeah. single year. Yeah. And, you know, for a while, the Raiders were the team that couldn't win the big one because mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, they were getting knocked out by one of these teams right. in the playoffs. Right. But, like, like this was not a negative, you know what I mean? And it's just crazy to be competing was, with them was huge. It was for Al Davis, right? right? I mean, that's the you know over the last twelve hours since since Madden's passing and everything, I've I like everybody else have just done you know gone to his Wikipedia page, looked at his record, watched the All Man documentary, all this kinds of stuff, and you know you, you look at his head coaching record and he coached for ten years in the league, and it, that was kind of his mantra. It's like, hey, I'm in ten years and then I'm out. Like right. it's like I'm like I'm done after this. For Al freaking Davis, he made it to the AFC Championship game three times in a row and lost three straight times before that Super Bowl win. Three times. And Al Davis kept this dude around. It's crazy to think of how impatient and how, look, I I know he's a pillar of football, but how egotistical Al Davis was 
as an owner and a guy who controlled his team to think that he would keep the head coach after three straight AFC Championship losses. To me, that's nuts. And that's, again, just another testament to John Madden. What I was really struck by, though, is when he walked away, right? When he said, like, this is... It's taken too much from me, right? It's drained me. I'm, I'm done. I'm yep. spent, right? I need, I need out of this. And he sort of said, I'm, I'm not quitting. I'm not, well, you know, I, I'm retiring from coaching and I will never coach again. To stick to that, I think, is actually pretty impressive. Like, yep. I think a lot of coaches have done that down the years. and been like, I, this is too much. I'm done. I need, I need out. And then something comes along, right? And an opportunity too good to turn down comes Mm -hmm. along and you end up going back and you maybe regret it or maybe you don't or whatever, but they they get drawn back in because this is what they do. Madden went, no, I'm out. Yep. I'm done. I'm retiring. I will never coach again and just walked away from the game and then went in, you know, and did something completely different and did sort of broadcasting in his own terms and then then, um, the, the video game stuff. But the other thing that struck me is that (laughs) <laughs> with the exception of a couple of lunatics on Twitter, and there's always a couple of lunatics of course, on Twitter. Of course, of course. He must have, like, the most universal outpouring of, of sort of genuine... Everybody liked Madden. Nobody right. disliked Madden, right? Right. right. Like, no matter where you look now, there's a group of people that dislike whatever it is, right? The coach, the, the um, broadcaster, the whatever, right? There's a whole bunch of people that hate that guy. Nobody hated Madden. Everyone loved John Madden. Yep. It's it's just, again, it's, it's such a testament to who he was and how genuine he was and how he was able to impact so many different people just because he was the kind of person it felt like uh, everyone wanted to be around, everyone wanted to be, everyone wanted to be liked. And uh, that genuine nature of how he carried himself throughout his life is something that whether you're young or old, whether you're for this team or, or for that team or whatever it is, you gravitate towards you you want to be like that you want to emulate that kind of 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 personality of being genuine and being yourself and i just think madden just did he clearly just did that so well and of course you know when it comes to looking at his life story and 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 how he got to where he was how he became a head coach at just 32 years old all this kinds of stuff Yes, it's it's kind of the same thing as it is for everybody. You need those lucky breaks, right? You need to shake the right hand at the right time. But the thing about Madden is that he was always just himself, at, like un, unconditionally, unwavering to the point when when he did shake those hands, he was the kind of person that people wanted to be around. He was the kind of person that people wanted to hire. And I think that's why you see the outpouring. It's not even just his accomplishments, right? Only coached 10 years in the league. Only won one mm. Super Bowl. You can point to a handful of coaches that have been more successful than that. Sure, the winning percentage is obviously great, but it is how he lived his life. That is why you see the tweets that you see, why there is just such an outpouring of love and reflection and good memories and everything for what John Madden was able to do. No doubt about it. He was a one-of-one one in football and... Uh, Crazy that it took him as long as it did to get in the Hall of Fame. That is yeah. what it was crazy to me because he is part of, you know, you mentioned it. Can you tell the story of football without John Madden? No, it's impossible. Right. It, it is. It's really nice as well that, that they got that all Madden documentary done uh, before. You, you know, particularly you because that. of the way the way it's designed. It's not just a documentary about John Madden, but the structure of that documentary was all these guys, um, you know, telling stories or or sort of saying what Madden meant to them mm-hmm. played to John Madden. Yes. You know, he's sitting there in the chair watching all the, the these things that these guys are saying about him. For him to have got that yep. before he went, I think, is is a really nice thing. I don't know if they knew, you know, if this was 
on the horizon or not. Yep. But either way, I think which is which is a good lesson. If you have if you have flowers for people, make sure that they can smell them before yeah know, before they're gone. I think that that's that's a great lesson as well. All right, let's uh, let's move from one sad event to another. Oh boy, yeah, okay. uh, the Monday Night Football game, Miami versus New Orleans, the first chapter of the Ian Book story. <laughs> Might not be many chapters after this, Sam. But look, it's a one-chapter story. It's yeah, it wasn't. A- you know, it was. Uh, it was. You know what? It was great to see. They were showing in the pregame. They were showing how pumped up his family was. They were all wearing the Ian Book jerseys, yeah. and and you know they were excited for. It. They were excited. I was excited for him, but at the same time, I was like, this isn't gonna end well for you. I know it's in the Superdome, but it's probably not gonna end well for you. And it didn't. Obviously, it didn't go well for the Saints. Um, Saints have been a strange team all year, right? I mean, it's a team without a quarterback, right? And I mean, like that yeah. was the big story, and. Um, you, you saw the result the week before where they're able to shut out the Buccaneers and you look at how much talent they have on defense. But t- you just there's only so much that you can overcome when your quarterback is holding you back that much. And it's incredible, I think, that the Saints are even still record-wise in the conversation or even have been in the conversation this long for the playoffs. But, yeah, it was just... That Saints team was never going to go anywhere with Ian Book. It just wasn't going to happen. And so it was about as ugly as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Now, look, we we do need to cover one thing, which is a lot of people pointed out that Tua Tagovailoa Mm -hmm. ended up with a slightly lower grade coming out of this game than Ian Book, right? And there are sometimes, you know, you look... You look at the PFF grades, and you just wish the numbers were slightly different. You know what I mean? (laughs) This is one of those times. I, But... It's important that when you sort of play out exactly how the grades are are arrived at, it makes more sense than it does when you're just sort of looking at how that game went Mm -hmm. and going, well, one guy had an offense that worked and the other guy didn't. Therefore, he deserves the higher grade, right? So, one, Ian Book is not going to get heavily penalized for the pick six because he got tipped at the line, right? Right. The tip to the line, they drew it up perfectly on the broadcast. You can see when the ball is deflected, it changes its trajectory oh, completely yeah, totally. back towards the defender who then catch, has an easy pick six, walks in, right? If that hadn't been touched at the line and the ball ended up in the same place, that is one of, it's the harshest downgrade PFF gives, mm-hmm. and that probably torpedoes his grade into the 20s, right? I and mean, we're, not, we're not having this conversation. Because it didn't, because that ball was probably on its way to the receiver, and the deflection is what caused it to be a pick six, right. Book is not going to get heavily downgraded for that. On the flip side... Tua is getting downgraded for plays that are going to fall out of people's memories, right? Remember when he got sacked in the pocket and the ball just flies out behind him because he's carrying it in a weird way, Mm -hmm. fumbles it away? That's a bad fumble that's going to get you a turnover-worthy play in PFF's uh, system. So he had three turnover-worthy plays in the game, one of which obviously was the ridiculous interception, one of which was that ugly fumble. So... There are plays in there that, that Tua had that are bad that are not necessarily – like when you're looking and you're saying, you know, 200 yards, essentially one touchdown, one interception, yeah. you're not remembering those plays, right? Those are as bad as the interception. It's, it's essentially the same kind of play. Um, and then the other part of it is there are plays, I think, where Ian Book looked bad that weren't necessarily his fault, right? So throwaways on fourth down. Yes, should he have just tried to get it to somebody on the basis that it was fourth down? It's a turnover mm-hmm. anyway? Mm-hmm. Sure. On the other hand, they were doing this thing. Steve railed about this on the goal line the other day. About the worst thing you can do is those sprint rollout plays. Because what you're doing is reducing your entire options to like a high-low read. And if the high-low read is covered, 
you're shit out of luck. Right. Like you're done. Right. Yeah. There's nothing else. Right. Yeah, right. Right. So they kept doing that, and this, they were able. The Miami covered them. So all of a sudden, you roll book out, and the base is okay. It's it's idiot proof. All you got to do is read the just, high low. You're read, good, right? Right. right. <laughs> okay, but what do I do if the high low is both covered? Right now, what's the plan? Throw it away. So that's exactly what sure. he was done. And right. you saw these play. It's not like he went, uh oh, high low covered. Throw it away. He tried to buy as much time as possible. There was nothing open, and he threw it away. And let's be real about this. They're down guys on the offensive line. They're down really yeah. good players on the offensive line, and there ain't nobody playing wide receiver. Yes. I mean, like, we, we, we complained about this when it was He James, doesn't have a Jalen right? Waddle. Right. There's nobody. There's nobody at receiver. There's nobody at tight end. They have Alvin Kamara, who is one of the best offensive weapons yeah. in the NFL. But even Kamara, it's an 11-man game. He can only do so much. And so, no, I, and, you know, and people are going to say on the other side of things, they're, they're going to probably yelling at us talking about Miami's offensive Garbage line and things line. like that, which we will get to. I know we're talking about two in, in, a, in a second, but just you, there's context to everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do at PFF. That's what we try to do with the grades. It's what we try to do here on these shows. We try to give as much context as we can to what we're seeing. So it's more than just the results. And so I agree with you. There are a handful of times when um, – you know, I'll be talking to guys in, in a group chat or, or uh, some other guys who cover the NFL who are like, hey, what's up with this grade? And uh, I always have a running joke with them that I'm just like, well, as the person who grades every single player, <laughs> I uh, and obviously that's that's not true. But, you know, there's always going to be those grades where you look at and you go, OK, that doesn't make a ton of sense there. But when you break it down a little bit more, it at least you can see what's going on. You can see what we're talking about. And so that's kind of that was the kind of the E. Yeah. And look, you know, two has 198 yards, 106 came out after the catch like there's a lot he, he wasn't being asked to do an awful lot either mm-hmm. the other the final sort of bottom line point i would make is these are both crappy grades right like there's not yeah, right there's yeah, not no, a lot of difference not a good grade there's yeah. not a lot of difference between this crappy and this crappy right you are and in particular it's it's like four what is it four grading points six grading points something like that it, when you're down in the 50s and the 40s that's there's not much of a difference there right, right. you're basically right. talking about two bad performances two bad performances one of which had a little more help around it than the other, right? Mm-hmm. One of which had a Jalen Waddle to throw to. One of which has an offense that is used to covering up an offensive line, right? They're running a bunch of RPOs. They are already masking a terrible line because they've been dealing with it all year. Right. The Saints aren't and are not used to doing that, and they didn't do a good job of, of setting Book up to have any kind of success. So yep. I think that is the bottom line is that, one, I wouldn't get too caught up in parsing the difference between 48 and 54. These are two bad quarterback performances. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, two, normally, that's normally how I get into it. Whenever I look at quarterback grades, or really any grades in general, where I'm, I'm comparing two guys, if you're below 60, yeah, you're just straight like, bad. The point about this is Ian Book, and look, there's priors involved here as well, right? I went into this game saying – I pretty confident Ian Book will be bad and I have almost zero I think there's almost no way that he becomes a successful NFL quarterback right no I mean so well I mean yeah yeah, right (laughs) so you're looking at this and you're saying the grade backs that up this is a non-viable bad quarterback right and if Tua had this grade every week you he would be in the same bucket Tua Mm -hmm. would be a bad non-viable quarterback going forward but Mm -hmm. this is a this is 20 points lower than Tua typically grades, right? Yeah. So this is not what his baseline is. We know he's capable of, of more than this. He just had a not particularly good game, and the, the Dolphins were able to win anyway because there were other things around him that were as good. Are we going to have the Tua conversation 
Yeah. Do, do you yeah, want to go straight I, I, in? I, I, I feel like we kind of need to, right? We do. Was there any other part of the Saints you wanted to get to? Because I just felt like that was a decent transition. I just, I think you have to give credit to that defense, which did a really good job. Sure. Like if they had any kind of viable right. quarterback. Take the pick six off the board early in the game. Right. If know? they had any kind of viable quarterback since Jameis went down, this team would be in really good shape yeah. and potentially yeah. is in good shape in the future if they can just find a quarterback. Yep. Sadly, I have to ruin your transition because I got to get an ad in here now. Uh, you know, and, gotta, we got to keep the lights on. It's fine. Right. Do and, do. and Steve isn't here to read them, so mm. I got to do it. So this is a treat for your listeners. Oh, it's a real treat. Yeah. Well, in, in the past, it's been a case of like how smooth are my transitions. You know, mm. I've had some good ones, and then mm. there have been some ones like this. We're just like, look, there's no easy way into this. We're just going to have to jump feet first. Uh, so. Working from home is more important than ever now. Optimize your home office with an X chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. Uh, it's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary, not X extraordinary ah it seems like a, a missed opportunity there there you go uh extraordinary design x chair fits any space high performance quality engineering extreme comfort and apparently easy enough to put together that even steve can manage it um those are the reasons i love my x chair and now i can't wait to be at work at home and sometimes even if i'm not working i sit in the x chair just to get the feeling because it's it's comfy mm. um have you sat austin's got one upstairs. austin's you got sat, one upstairs oh yeah sat in austin's oh yeah it's oh yeah nice it's yes, pretty it nice it is a very nice chair folks. so Go to xchairnflpod.com now. That's the letter X, chairnflpod.com, or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, which feels pretty good, right? Get the thing, 30 days, don't like it, send it back. Easy guarantee. And you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairnflpod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. And check out all the uh, the website there that Tyler's scrolling through and showing you the goodies. We still haven't had, by the way, we're looking for one super rich NFL podcast listener to go buy that badass oh massage chair gosh. cocoon thing that they've got there. Look, I know, I know we have a healthy demographic. I know one of you is sitting there on a ton of money oh my just gosh. looking to, to blow it on something, right? Holy you're, cow. And you're probably thinking, you know, weekend car new fancy Rolex, right. you know, whatever it is you spend is your money on. It's like six grand. <laughs> that's better than I, that's not, that's kind of better than I thought, actually. So, you know, if you're, steal. if you're looking to burn your money, yeah, go do that. Yeah. Use, uh, use the xchairnflpod.com link so that we get the credit for it and buy yourself that awesome thing. Man. I just want to live vicariously through somebody that's bought one right. of those. Right. Yeah, I just want to see a video of somebody using it. Yeah. I mean, like, there's no greater flex in the world. It's got a remote control. No greater flex. I'm just saying, nobody's done this yet. I know there's people out there listening right now that have that kind of money. Go do it. My grandparents used to have a chair that was sort of like that, but, like, not even close to as nice. It right. just, like, had the massage capabilities. That and chair looks like it would change your life. That, yeah. It really you, does. That would set you up in a pretty good wow. a pretty good space. Wow. You add, like, wow. headphones to look that. At, you look, know, at, look, at this, look at this video right now. This could be you. Right? right. This basically double. That was basically 007. I mean, that's what that was. It's, you it's, become 007 if you get this chair. I mean, look at the house it's in. Like, that's not a coincidence, that's right? True. That's you, true. You have that chair. You can dress and it in all, a, And it all starts with the chair, right? It doesn't start with a good job and a good house. I think it house probably starts judging by this ad with the it's, polo it, neck. 
<laughs> that's that's true. Okay, then right then after the chair. that, then it's the chair. Then you get the house. Then you prosper. Right. And then it's that's know, exactly it. So Tua. Yes. Speaking of people who might need an next chair, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was a good transition or not. But here yeah, we are. It works. No, like we. So we're at this point with Tua where. Every week. It's almost like this is a Baker Mayfield discussion, right? It's just a couple is, of years yeah. earlier. I it's mean, just, do you sign him? Do you move on? What are you doing here? So Doug Kite had a really good article on PFF.com yes. about yeah. Tua, and he, he's our sort of insider, right? So he's called up a bunch of sources and asked them, hey, what do you think the Dolphins are going to do with Tua after this year? And the general consensus appears to be, you know, they're going to try and trade him, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they, they're going to try and get value for him and then go all in for something, something bigger, something better, right. right? Which is kind of the approach that data and analytics and all those things are saying is go big or go home at the quarterback position, right? Mm-hmm. You need the guy that can be in the top 10. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. And what you need to do as an organization is to set yourself up so that you get that guy however it happens, right? Whether it's the monster trade for Russell Wilson, whether it's, nailing the number one overall draft pick so that you get the next Trevor Lawrence or whatever it is, like that's the thing you need to be chasing. For mm-hmm. Whichever way you're coming at it, that's the approach. Right. But I do think it's interesting with Tua because it's not like we're looking at this guy and saying, he's been a bust, like he's done. It's, it hasn't worked out. It's been a train wreck. It's right. a disaster. Right. We need to move on because he hasn't succeeded. I think he's actually exceeded expectations based off what's around him, notably the worst offensive line in the NFL by some margin. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and it's, you know, there was, a, there was a quote in that article from Doug that everybody should go read because I think it's, it's really good insight on the Tua situation. But one of the quotes at the beginning of the article was him pinging a source and asking him about Tua. And the source, the league source said back to him, quote, they've won seven straight games. Can't be all bad. And that that's true, but that statement is also why we're in this predicament because it can't be all bad does not mean he's the guy. Right. And it doesn't. And in fact, like, if the best thing that you can say about somebody's situation is can't be all bad, then, like, that's that's <laughs> By that definition, a lot of it's bad. <laughs> because I find myself I find myself being more aggressive than I think most people would be with quarterback where I say, this guy's not it, get rid of him. Right. Because you're just, you are wasting time at that point. And I'm somebody who, especially when it comes to, I mean, when it's my personal life, whether it's whether it's looking at team building, whatever, I can't commit to stuff if I think that it's going to be a waste of time. And so for Tua, it's an interesting situation to me because I feel myself being a little bit more neutral on this because this offensive line has failed him. Right, you mentioned that Dolphins' offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. You said I don't the worst think, by a large margin. Right? I don't think people appreciate how bad this offensive it's line is. Absolutely terrible. We got a glimpse of it on Monday night. Remember, there was like a drive where every play somebody was getting flagged for holding, right. or it was just blown block or right. whatever. Like every single play, that's what they've been dealing with all year. Like they are on pace to give up the most pressure we've ever seen from an offensive line from an offense that is protecting it with RPOs, that is getting the ball out of Tua's hands pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. that has a low average depth of target. Like, Mm -hmm. they are doing all of the things you need to do to hide an offensive line, and it is still giving up the most pressure we've ever seen from an offensive line. Like, it is not just the worst offensive line in the league this year by a margin. It might be the worst offensive line we have seen in 15 years. And, like, and it's that level. It's remember when Josh Rosen went to Arizona and it was like bad. You, you've got no shot. Bad. Like that right. line. That line. <laughs> you're dead. Forget it. Yes. No chance. Yes. Two was working behind the same kind of offensive line, and it's functioning. Right. Yes. He is functioning. So yep. like, 
that on its own tells you that there is a difference between him and, you know, a Josh Rosen who is just not an NFL quarterback. And, and context is everything in, in, in these situations. And there's certainly there's context that you and I don't know. We are not in the building in Miami. Sure. We don't know what these offense coordinators are putting in front of Tua. And maybe they are trying to put more in front of him and he's not getting it. I have no idea whether or not that's the case. I can only go off the context that I know. And to take even deeper context with Tua, go back to his days at Alabama, right? Not only is that a blue chip university getting some of the best recruiting classes every single year, you look at Alabama's offense lines in 2017 2018 and 2019 the years that Tua was the starter they had a top 10 offensive line and overall uh in rushing and then a top 20 offensive line in 2017 and then 2018 2019 those two years that Tua put up his actual monster numbers they were a top five top three offensive line in all the FBS in the entire country so you're coming from not only playing behind the best offensive line talent wise in college football who are his wide receivers Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs. These guys are more talented than anybody. So he's, these guys are getting wide open at all times and immediately. So even with Tua's struggles with the Dolphins, you had to know that this was going to be an issue for him going from college to the NFL. And the Dolphins have done an awful job mitigating that part of his learning curve. And that, to me, is what makes this the most complex situation with quarterbacks in the NFL right now, maybe right next to Mayfield because he's we're talking about second-year contracts. But what you do with Tua and whether or not he's good one, we don't know exactly what's being told of him in the building. And two, this was going to be the issue. If he went to a team with a bad offensive line, because take take supporting cast wide receiver-wise out of it, okay? You were never going to get as dominant as a wide receiver group that he played with at Alabama versus their competition in the NFL. It just, it doesn't really exist, that kind of level of talent gap. So if you just take the offensive line part into it, he was going from by far the best in college football if you put him on the worst offensive line, how do you think that that's going to go? Yeah. It's not going to go well at all whatsoever, even if he is the prospect that still has the high ceiling that you thought he did. So that's where I am with Tua. I am normally a, this guy's a bum, get him out, get aggressive. Now, they have a chance to go get Russell Wilson. Okay, different story. Deshaun Watson, who knows? We know Miami liked Deshaun Watson. We know they were close to pulling the trigger on it. So maybe that's in the cards too, but who knows in that situation either. But if it's... If those two guys are off the table, I don't hate – I don't think the Tua can't be the answer. I mean, if own. those two guys are off the table, I don't even think you have another option. Like, you just have to get super aggressive into that offensive line. And I know yeah. some Dolphins fans – I mean, I had a mock draft that came out recently where I gave them an offensive lineman, um, Bernard Raymond, actually, from, from Central Michigan, who I really like. And Dolphins fans were immediately like – I can't trust this organization to develop offensive linemen. Sure. Well, if I give you a good offensive lineman and you don't like it, then I can't help you any right. more than that. But so like, you that's don't, where we are with the Dolphins. Yeah, and they're not alone in that, right? There's a bunch of teams who don't have a good track record of developing offensive linemen. But on the other hand, you don't like your alternative is you just stop looking and right, accept right. And, that and you that, have the right, worst that, offensive line in the league. That can't like, be the case. Right. There's two problems, I think. The first is that we can't accurately assess how good Tua is because the offensive line is so bad, right? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at this guy and you're saying, he's playing okay. He's gone on a decent run against some not great teams. And, you know, overall this is shaking out to like, you know, a bottom half, but the top end of the bottom half quarterbacks in the NFL, right? Somewhere between like 15 and 20, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. That's where he's looking right now. 
but how much is that offensive line dragging him down, right? If you take that away and you give him, like, just even league average offensive line, how much does he jump up? We don't know. No yeah. idea. Yeah. And then the other problem is if you bring in a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson, how much does that offensive line drag them down from what we know that they are, right? Right. So those two guys, right. you know, are generally speaking top five quarterbacks in the NFL – but neither one of them, and they've played, against, they've played behind some pretty bad offensive lines, neither one of them have played behind a line as bad as this. So how much does that line drag them down if you yeah. bring them in? Now, yeah. all of a sudden, you're talking about a guy who right now is somewhere between 15 to 20. Maybe he jumps up to 12 if you give him a half-decent offensive line. Mm-hmm. Maybe the top five quarterback drags down from top five to 12 if you get put him behind this line so essentially the entire variable that's at stake here is like one of the worst lines you've ever seen yeah and if you don't fix that you're not changing much we we like to talk all the time about how a good quarterback should be able to make up for a lot of mistakes that you have on the roster And, and that is the case and i think that you could point to a lot of examples but the examples that you point to are often veteran quarterbacks who are just already established the miami dolphins have failed Tua thus far to put him in a situation to be even become that to but, learn to get better but critically I think you can see evidence of him doing that it just isn't making the difference right right this, so like yeah correct when they've put in Jacoby Brissett as bad as it is with Tua it's worse right and it's yes. not like yes. and Brissett is not Josh Rosen right Brissett is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL mm-hmm. when he goes in there the whole situation looks worse, yes. right? Waddle looks worse. The offensive line looks worse. The offense as a whole looks worse. So Tua is able to demonstrably uh, make up a difference you know, in the supporting cast over a guy who we know is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL, which again, like, there is a reasonably high floor to how good or bad we think Tua is at this point. Yeah. We know he's able to raise the level of people around him versus what a backup quarterback can do and a good backup quarterback. And we also know that even with this train wreck of an offensive line, he's grading somewhere in the middle of the pack, the lower middle of the pack in the NFL this year. Like you, you end up coming to the logical conclusion that, well, if this offensive line becomes halfway decent, correct. He ends up looking pretty good. And that's the thing, like, you know, Again, it's an outsider's perspective. We don't exactly know what's been put onto his plate, what he's been able to do, what he hasn't been able to do. If they want to go out and be aggressive to upgrade a quarterback, I don't fault them at all. That's what every team should be able to, should be wanting to do because they want to try to get the best quarterback that they possibly can. But if they do want to move on from Tua, I would tell you that at this point in time, certainly from my point of view, that has been an organizational failure more than it has been a Tua Tagovailoa failure. So that's kind of where I am with that. Yeah, they're... The, the big problem that they have is that even though those are, that is an absolutely true statement and the sort of the root of the problem is that they failed elsewhere, um, the output of it is, well, we still don't know if we have the quarterback. Right. And at some and, point, and, it doesn't that's... really matter what the, what the fault is. Right. Like, that's the, that's the issue is that we're now in this situation where we're treading water around in and around the playoffs and we don't know if this guy is the quarterback to take us further like that's their their biggest problem yep um i want to transition into the slider theory because i think tua, ah this is your theory that i learned about last week yes, on the nfl i show. think tua actually makes a lot of sense in the slider theory he's an interesting case study for it but okay. before we get there i just want to push people towards signing up for pff elite right yes because we have a sale going on right now 50 percent off 
PFF Elite, which is our, you know, the premium package, the high-end package, which gets you all the locked article content, the uh, betting dashboards, green line, um, the fantasy stuff. Obviously, that's coming to a close now, but if you get 365 days of access, that's all next year as well. Uh, all the grades, um, the prop tools, and what else am I missing? And premium stats, where we get all the statistics that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. The promo code is Elite Up. Um, I don't know how long it's lasting, but I do know that we are getting towards the end of the calendar be, year. I think it might be to the end of the year. I do know it's getting towards the end of the calendar year yeah. where, you know, financial numbers cease to become important again and roll <laughs> over. So if I was a betting person, that's where I would suggest the time up stops with this, uh, this list. So if you're thinking about signing up, I would do it before the end of the calendar year. Yeah. Elite Up is your promo code for 50% off. Right. The slider theory. Mm-hmm. I can't remember why I came up with this or how, but I was talking with, it was born out of a conversation with Steve generally about assessing quarterbacks. And I came to the conclusion that I think if you have, you know, like the sort of, like a slider in a video game, right? right. There's like a bar here yes. and a slider up and down, how yes. good or bad you are. If you have, a, there's three sliders for quarterbacks. And I think if you're good on the sliders in two out of the three of these sliders, you can succeed in the NFL. If you're not, if you don't have two out of the three, you basically have no shot. Um, so the three sliders are arm strength, right? You need either – so you can be – There we go. Yeah. Look at the graphic. Look, right. look, at the, look at the graphic work there. Did yes. you write that? Is it your handwriting? It is, yeah. Okay. Unless you're listening, in which case you have no graphic to, to work from. Okay. But, okay. So well, top we have arm strength, you right? You can have a wide variety of arm strength succeed in the NFL. You don't need a big arm to be great in the NFL. If you have a Josh Allen cannon – you can be a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, a relative noodle, you can be a great quarterback. Joe Montana couldn't fire the ball like a, like a rifle. Great quarterback. But because this is how the slider theory works, right? If you're going to be deficient in arm strength, you need to be good in the other two. Right. The other two are accuracy. And then the third one is anticipation and decisions. Mm-hmm. So not just can you get the ball where it needs to go, but can you make sure you're throwing it to the right place, right? Right. right. So the theory right. being, if you're going to have a bad arm, you need to be really accurate, and you need to be making good decisions almost all the time, right? Think late career Drew Brees, right? The dude's arm fell off, couldn't get the ball where it needed to go ever. But, you know, under, was, when, he was, when he was able to set, when he was able to fire it, was accurate and was always making the correct decisions, right? 15 years worth of, like, mental Rolodex, knew exactly where the ball needs to go every time. Yep. So it was still playing reasonably well. Right. And nothing has shown that more than like this year Mm -hmm. for the Saints. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly, if you're going to be inaccurate, you better have a howitzer because you need to make up for the fact that the ball is going to be scattershot. Right. You need to give yourself a chance by being able to make throws that the guy with better accuracy can't necessarily make. So you better have a strong arm and you better be good at throwing it to the right place because inaccuracy, you need to make up for a lot of that inefficiency. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to be bad. With anticipation decisions, if you're going to make some mistakes, if you're going to be Jimmy G and throw the ball to linebackers every now and again, you better be both accurate and be able to make all the throws. Right. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing here? You're making right. terrible decisions every single play. I, I, I think I have a, a a golden child for each one of these. Nice. Three. So, like, obviously, this is, this is a fun exercise, but the best quarterbacks – have some variation right. of all we'll three. We'll probably be right? good at all. So, like, there's a lot of them that are all three. So I tried to think, okay, who is the most successful two-slider quarterback for, for each like, each one of these? So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if you I agree like with it. this. Okay? 
arm strength and decision making. So has the arm, right. makes good decisions, mm-hmm. but just is kind of like but inaccurate. A little bit inaccurate. The most successful one I have here is Matthew Stafford. And the reason okay. why I picked Stafford is because prior to this season, his career accuracy was right around like 62%. And like, that's not great. It's not catastrophic, but I'm trying to pick like the best of the bunch here. So I, I, I had Matthew Stafford. Stafford works. I will also give you Carson Wentz. Okay. And I will give you... Oh, uh, Car- Carson just doesn't make good decisions sometimes. True, so that's, 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 that's struggle. Like, that's ones where I was like, okay, well, also, Carson's kind of bad um, decisions. But too. like peak Carson Wentz, you know, when he was playing well, like the, the MVP year Carson Wentz. I could Wentz. give you this. I and then also that. peak Cam Newton. So even when Cam Newton was at his best, he was inaccurate. Like, he just wasn't a very accurate quarterback. Okay. Now, okay. obviously, this doesn't, like, there are other things you can have, right, that will affect this. Right. Like, Freakish athleticism will, sure, will get right, you somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, but I think those that's the style of quarterback okay. that definitely pans okay. out. Okay, so right, what I, else you got? I had Matthew Stafford for that one. So, all right, accuracy and decision-making. So does not have the strong arm. No I, arm. This, I, is the, this is the tricky one. This one feels like it's dying off as, a, I, as an entity. I think I would still pick the golden child for this is Joe Burrow. And, like, Burrow doesn't have, like, the weakest arm. I'm yeah. not trying to say that, like, I could throw the ball further than Joe Burrow. Right. But when it when you're putting Burrow up against Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, like, sure. he, clearly, when it comes to an NFL barometer, st- like, standard, he is lower. He's, he's, he's right around that bar of, like, okay, you have just enough arm strength to where you're still good in this league. But what is he? incredibly accurate, fantastic with decisions, especially when out of structure. And so, yeah, Burrow's got a lot of interceptions. He's got some turnover-worthy plays. But for as much as he's throwing the ball, I looked it up, the turnover-worthy plays, it's not the worst thing in the world. He's outside of the top 10 in the NFL, but he's right around, like, middle of the pack 15. So it's not like it's super glaring. So that's the one that I landed on as, like, kind of the golden child. I mean, the poster child for this one, I think you have to go back into the past and be Joe Montana. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned him. I think that's that's the the, – he's the – He's the archetype for this. West also, Coast, make the good decision, get right. the ball where it needs to go. That late career, Drew Brees, after his, yes, after totally, his arm tailed totally. off. Yep. Um, Andy Dalton's entire career kind of fits into that, right? You think? Not the strongest arm in the world. Yeah. Pr- very accurate. Generally made pretty good decisions. Um, and this year, Mac Jones. Like, mm. we're not all the way there, obviously, but Mac Jones doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. Very accurate, like literally throws the lowest percentage of uncatchable he passes is in deadly. the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And right up until the last couple of weeks has been making really good decisions. Yep. And that honestly, that is the, another, another endorsement in the slider theory, right? The difference between Mac Jones being good and taking the Patriots to the number one seed in the playoffs and beyond, and uh-oh, Mac Jones is all of a sudden a problem, is the third slider. Went all the way to the other end. Right. It went yeah. from being yeah. making the right decisions to all of a sudden throwing the ball to Darius Leonard a couple of times. Yep. You know? Yeah. Like that's the difference. So, so he went from being a two slider guy to being a one slider guy. And, that's and that not just good. Has, yeah, doesn't work. You can't be a one slider guy. No, you can't. All right. Last what's your third one? one. This one's the toughest, right? Because every good quarterback in the NFL has to be good with anticipation and decisions. Because if you aren't, then you're just not gonna last. So the to me, the poster child, the most successful guy who has arm strength and accuracy but doesn't make good decisions, it's got to be Jameis, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has to be Jameis. Now, Jameis has struggled with accuracy a little bit here and there, but in not his last year with Tampa, not the 30 and 30 year because that year was just an anomaly and it was crazy and it was wonderful and it was a train wreck and it was the most entertaining television that you were ever going to see. 
But the years before that, he was right around like 64, 65% yeah. completion percentage He's not for, an for a lot of his games. So Jameis has the arm talent. He has a lot of that natural accuracy. He just can't make a good decision. He just can't string good decisions together to save his life, or at least he hasn't before his stint in New Orleans. So that was the, that was the one, the most successful one to make. I think that works. Okay. Um, I will also suggest Eli Manning. Honestly, so... Oh, it's that family tree of quarterbacks. When we, we said that Jameis, we compared Jameis Winston to Eli when he was coming out, which okay. is like a guy that has all the tools, but makes a lot of bad decisions. Oh, man. OK. Um, all right. Eli Manning. And honestly, I think Ben Roethlisberger for most of his career. So Roethlisberger was somewhat of a comp for me for Jameis when he was yeah, out. Same idea. So, right. Yeah. Like, so I think that there is that group of quarterbacks that play like that. Yeah. And I think honestly. Baker Mayfield could fall into that category as well. Like a guy that has the arm, has the accuracy. I thought about Baker. Makes a lot of bad errors. But man, as of late, the accuracy hasn't even been. Sure, but the dude's also playing with like a broken No, I know, I know, I know. So generally, I thought about that one, but I was like, no, this isn't better than James anyway. Like we have a lot of history of him being an accurate quarterback. I did think of Baker. So I think it works. Those Those are my three. All right, so the question, and by the way, this was why one of the reasons why I was so sure that Ian Book has no chance is that he is a zero slider guy. Correct. That is, that is what brought up the whole conversation right. before the NFL show. <laughs> it's like, okay, one out of three is a problem. Right. Three out of three being bad is just no shot. Forget right. it. Right. There's a reason why you're fourth on the depth So the question point. is, where does Tua fit on this? Because arm strength is below average in the slider. Mm-hmm. Accuracy is above average. And then the yeah. question becomes anticipations well, and decisions. I, yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's something that we're looking for here. And, and, you know, when you go back to the conversation that we just had of the context of Tua and to think that he's going from one environment and looking phenomenal in it when the situations are perfect to another, you know, he had three years of a perfect situation in Alabama. Now you're throwing him in one of the worst in the NFL. So you're upping the competition level. You're upping the speed of the game. You're upping the demand. And yet you're diminishing the talent gap a lot for him and I think really that's the biggest point of context is we don't have an answer for two as three sliders yet I think that we yeah. have an idea the offensive but we line. don't exactly know exactly hey is Tua just bad at making decisions right or is it just the context of kind of where he is and his learning yeah curve? we know um, we know pressure affects decision making for it quarterbacks yeah. more than anything else right? right every quarterback gets worse under pressure and we know the two is under pressure a lot yeah so he has a career turnover-worthy play rate of 4.1%, which is high, and it's yeah, getting worse. High. Like, it's worse this year than it was last year. But we also know that that offensive line is a train wreck and therefore going to be affecting his decision-making. So I think that that does neatly sum it up, that he is – we know where he is on the first slider. We know where he is on the second slider. We don't know where he is yet on the third slider, and that's the, uh, the thing that's open for debate. But I think that the three-slider thing, I think that explains every quarterback in the NFL. It can. And you yeah. go – Draft time, right? Every one of these first-round guys, we need to throw them up in the three-slider thing and say, where are they? And that's going to determine whether you take a shot on them or not. Yep. For me, anyway. I yep. don't care about anybody else. Got to have something. That's how I'm doing it. Right, right. That's, you know, it goes back to kind of the, the, the scouting motto, the kind of like where he wins, right? And you've got to be able to point. If you're a quarterback, you've got to be able to point at two of those three areas of where he wins as a quarterback. That's the thing, Or right? I you're would, just convincing yourself of something that's not going to happen. Exactly. I would be using this as a, like a red flag check, right? If you're going to tell me – that he's bad in one of these areas, right? It doesn't matter which one. But if one of these areas falls into, into a draft prospect's cons column, into his negatives, you better be telling me that the other two are high. Otherwise, I'm out, right, completely. Yep. Now, there have been guys that have changed, right? Josh Allen would have been low in two and three 
Obviously, he's always had the cannon, but Allen was inaccurate and made a lot of bad decisions. All of a sudden, Josh Allen became accurate. And again, the difference, like he went from being bad like, early in his no, career. I mean, Josh Allen being amazing. Right. Josh Allen's one of those guys who he struggled yeah. when the other two sliders were down. All and, of now a sudden, he, and now he's elite because dials one up. Mo, right. Most of the sliders are all up. Dialed two of them up, to be honest. But yeah, certainly dialed one of them up. And that's the difference. Yep. Um, all right. Another ad again. No, no smooth transition. I'm just, oh, long, man. No, just I'm, jumping in. You had it. Look, it's tough to go from Josh Allen to uh, financial planning. It just is. Well, you know, they're signing him to a big contract. So they you did. Know, they already signed him to the bank. Right, I mean, right. his financial planning is pretty well set at this right, point. Right. right. I mean, maybe they hit up Western Southern beforehand. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, like being paid $40 million a year, mm. winning starts with asking us questions. <laughs> is that where it started with Josh Allen, do you think? <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably. Uh, would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? I suspect that would be good. How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. That's a lot of catering. Uh, Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February the 13th, 2022, which I believe is a significant day in the football calendar. Why? Hmm. You know, Google might help you out. Hmm. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. That's C-R-I-S. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com forward slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. You and know, now back to the podcast slash interview. Well, that's would, in the copy right here. Oh, that's so we can, we can get by. We can, <laughs> we can start again. I was going to say, you know, if Josh Allen, with his new millions in guaranteed money, mm-hmm. um, were to ask Western Southern about some financial goals that he mm-hmm. had, he might be able to buy that massage chair just to kind of like True. link it True. all together, you know, to really just bring it all. As a I mean, Josh could also find out what it's like to work with Al on Sunday Night Football. That's, wow. I mean, they're it's, always, all, it, it's all right there. They're always asking the players questions. Why not flip the table? They're like, well, look, I've given you a lot of information. How about it's time you start <laughs> right. giving it back, right? What, what is the, what's the food situation here? Right. right? What does Al get into between, you know, ad breaks? What's the food situation is basically my first question for literally anything. So yeah. I can relate to that. I mean, John Madden as well. Oh, king. The man uh, the, in the all Madden documentary, there was a guy talking about how Madden essentially like made that dude's business because he was the turducken dude. He really did. Yeah. He really did. Didn't, I, you, make, didn't you make a turducken I for... Did. I did. What was it Christmas? It was actually that company as well. I didn't realize that That's until the All Madden awesome. Wow. Um, yeah, it was that exact company with like the Cajun dressing and whatever. And you said you made 17 pounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't check. Like, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't reading very closely the specs. Mm. I was like, oh, look, it's the All Madden Turducken. I got to get me one of those. Like, let's. Uh, in, in honor pounds. to John Madden, there's extra people coming to dinner this yes. Christmas. There's sure. family coming over. Sure. So, you know, let's get something. And yeah. I didn't really. I didn't run the math, right? That's like 17 pounds. There's only six people. It's a lot of tur- like that's a lot of food. <laughs> so yeah, you know, there's there's some. Hope y'all are hungry. There's some leftovers for a while for you know the next several weeks. 
the uh, the PFF Elite promo is going to last as long as the Turducken leftovers. It go. will last significantly less time than the Turducken, <laughs> I would imagine. All right, you wanted to talk Coach of the Year. Yes, 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 yes. We all need to calm down, okay? <laughs> like we all need to just, 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 just chill. A few steps back, okay? So Ross Tucker, he's a former player, works for CBS. I love Ross. I love following him on Twitter, interact with him. Um, he's fantastic. He really is. But he tweeted, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, and he said, "We've got to start considering Andy Reid as coach of the year." And then he also said Brian Flores would also be a fantastic choice. Hmm. What? 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 I'm supposed to give Andy Reid props for having a generational quarterback, best wide receiver in the world, best tight end in the world, not being able to figure out offense so poorly in the first half of the season that he had to get Steve Spagnuolo to bail him out on defense, right? The the vaunted Kansas City Chiefs offense was so bad that Steve had to save him because, remember, Andy Reid's side of the ball is offense, right? He had to save Andy Reid mm-hmm. by having a better defense than Kansas City has had in years. And that's the only reason why, why we're even still talking about Kansas City in a dominant fashion the way that we are. I'm supposed to give that guy a coach of the year? No, absolutely not. Brian Flores, that's another one. Blows my mind. Okay, I get it. Seven wins in a row. And I want to preface this by saying, it is hard to win in the NFL. I get it. I'm not trying to take that away from him. They have earned the record that they have. They are now in the hunt because of some great things that he has done behind the scenes, probably keeping that locker room together. But they were 1-7. and seven. I get the two was out for a handful of games. I get that. I really do. But this team was scheduled. This, the over-under for Miami going into the year was 9 and a half. And I'm supposed to give coach of the year the coach who just achieved that? Yeah, he went through struggles. Every coach in the NFL goes through struggles. What are you talking about? Also, when you look at this seven-game winning streak that Miami has, yeah. their opponents have a combined record of 36-69. and 69. <laughs> The only two teams above 500 that they have beaten were a reeling Ravens team that's the most beat-up, hurt, injured team in the NFL, and the Saints team that just started Ian Book on Monday Night Football, which they really didn't handle that yeah, I mean, it's not like they absolutely obliterated the Saints, right? So I just, it is like, we have to be, we have to get better as a people <laughs> about recognizing when somebody does something and being able to say, hey, you know what? That's a good job. And not having to go all the way to say that they're coach of the year. Yes. That's, we, need, we, we need to be better at finding the middle ground. Andy Reid, come back. You can. Number one. Yeah. Okay, great. The world cool. right Good now. Good job, Andy Reid. Brian Flores, hey, bounce back from one and seven. Cool. You know what? Great job. No chance that's coach of the year for me. You can never, no you can never say anything anymore that is strong enough, right? It's like the Micah Parsons thing. Micah Parsons went from, um, you know, it, it was at one point for about five minutes, you were like, Hey, I tell you what, there's like a hot take that Micah Parsons is going beyond defensive rookie of the year and is actually kind of putting himself in the defensive player of the year conversation. And the second you thought that, there were people on TV saying he's MVP. Right, 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 right. Come on. Defensive player of the year, MVP. Where does Micah Parsons rank with greatest draft picks of all time? Right, come on now, look. Yes, yes. We've taken it too far. And that's that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, we've got to pump the brakes. Brian Flores has done. Look, I want to to make sure that it is also on record on this podcast that I'm saying that Brian Flores has done a great great job of keeping a one in seven team together mm-hmm. to even get on this streak to win games to really change their season and turn it around 
but we don't have to just like give everybody coach of the year yeah. for doing good things. I wanted to give uh, just we get a lot of the inspiration for the Wednesday podcast in particular comes mm-hmm. from our mailbag, um, the email address NFLpodcast at pff.com. The Tua thing was inspired by an email that we got in from a guy, I think, named Meyer Bergman, M-E-I-R. We get a lot of people from Germany. I'm Maybe that's a German name, M-E-I-R. And if it is, that would be how you pronounce you, it. You're, you're closer to if that is, side of the world than I'm I am. I'm guessing. So. Um, but anyway, that guy sent us in a question that was essentially Big shout out, Meyer. about Tua. So that's where that one came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Like uh, Somebody on our social team asked me, they're like, if if the Dolphins win out and make the playoffs, is Brian, Flor- Brian Flores, oof, is he coach of the year? I was mm-hmm. like, no. No. I was like, I mean, don't lose seven straight games. Right, like, no. Just because... Just because it's ended in a nice run doesn't mean you like ignore the games at the start. Where it was a terrible, run. right? Right. And like, I and I get it. Like people are going to say too, like they were they they didn't have their quarterback for those games, sure, and but, and even with they what what he's been able to do with Tua for as limited as Tua has been, I recognize all of those things. But look at the teams that they beat during their seven game yeah. win streak. They're terrible. They're the worst teams in the NFL. It's the Giants. It's the Jets. It's the Texans. And it's if, the Panthers. They're terrible. And if you just like rearrange. They lost the, to the Jags. Yeah. And if you just rearrange the order, right? And say, Miami this season ended up, what, 10 and 7, right? At the end of the year. Like if you just fast forward the season, right? right. From the start to now. Yes. And you came out of it and you said, the Miami Dolphins went 10 and 7. Does Brian Flores win Coach of the Year? No. You'd be like, no, that's about where they should have He, he finished, covered the right? over-under by half a game. Right. He hit the that's over. That's about where they were supposed to be. Great. Pretty much bang on. Well Great. done. Great. But, like, I'm sure there's a better candidate out there. With no more information than that, I am sure there is a better option out there for Coach of the Year. So do, do just have, because they've done it in a sequence, right. I don't think puts them there. Do you have a, a definitive either, like, top two or top three for like coach of the year no but the the other one that i think that people are trying to people are trying to foist on people now is foist uh, foist 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 oh it's not a you don't like foist no no no. i was i was listening to the podcast the other day where you were talking with steve about how like you got to like reintroduce new words yeah, in your yeah. vocabulary and that's just i mean that's a good one yeah foist. i i a word came up the other day that incongruous you know that one no so incongruous is like, you know, that, that the meme that's like one of these things is not like the other. Okay. That's, yes. It's an incongruous thing. It doesn't belong. In ah, the, in the, nice. It stands out. Nice. When it's okay. And I heard that somewhere. I was like, yeah, I know what that word means. It's like, it's one of those words that's in my passive vocabulary, but not my active vocabulary. Yeah. I've never, I don't think I've ever, other than right now, used that word, but I understand it. Mm. And I, I know what it means when I hear it and read it. But those are the, I need to use those. I need to get... I need to bridge the gap between yes. my passive and active vocabulary. Um, anyway, Nick Sirianni, mm-hmm. people are like, coach of the year. Like, what? It took him like eight weeks to work out what his offense was supposed to look like, even though it was like self-evident heading into the year. Right. We right. have a quarterback we're not sure we trust to pass the ball, but is a really great rushing threat, and we have a good offensive line, a bunch of running backs. Yep. What do you think the offense should look like? <laughs> I say, put it in his hands every game, let him pass. <laughs> what? I mean, just because he figured it out halfway through the year doesn't make him go to the year. Sirianni is another guy who you look at and you go, good. Right. I think Sirianni's doing a good job. Eagles shouldn't have even been close to the playoffs this year. And they are. And you know what? That's a great job by Nick Sirianni. Coach of the year, calm down. The two guys that I would point to for coach of the year, for me at least, the first one is Frank Reich. I think Frank Reich should have consideration for coach of the year. When you look at especially what his defense has done on that side of the ball, they're one of the best defenses in the NFL at early down work. 
they on first and second down have two of the highest PFF grades that we have in our system. And then on third down, when you have that kind of success on early downs, it allows you to get really creative. Obviously, they're playing Matt Eberflus is, is playing a zone heavy defense that is kind of like really where the NFL is going. And so like I just think that everything that they're doing on that side of the ball has been fantastic. And then when you look at another context of what they've had going into the season, and this matters, going into the season, the Colts are one of the least vaccinated teams in the NFL. And regardless of where you are, like, get the vax, don't get the vax. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about it from a political standpoint. I'm just talking about it was a clear disadvantage to have more unvaccinated players on your team going sure. into the season because of everything that meant with how separated you were from the team, if you got a, t- a positive test, what that meant for you. And they have had to deal with that along with other injuries. And now here they are climbing back at this point in the year, getting themselves into the playoff hunt. I think that Frank Reich absolutely should be in consideration as one of, if not the top choice for coach of the year. I think that Matt LaFleur is probably the front runner. He is my other one. And if you were to say, okay, if it's not Frank Reich, who else do you like? I think Belichick's obviously up there for what he's yeah. been able to do with that defense in a rookie QB. You can't have the conversation without talking about Belichick. But the last couple of games, they're reeling a little bit, so it's not on the It's a little bit like mind. MVP, where everybody that you want, everybody that was once a, a candidate at some point is has still had a like, candidate. Has had like a wobble that has taken them out of like sure. number one. Yeah. But um, Matt LaFleur, you're right. He's, he's right the right one there. that's sort of still standing. And, and I mean, then, it has. And people are going to say, like, oh, real tough to win with Aaron Rodgers. But it's so much more than that. You bring yeah. you bring this up on the NFL show all the time. Yeah, of course, Aaron Rodgers is very good. They have Devontae Adams. It's fantastic. But two of their other top four players, and Jair Alexander and David Bakhtiari, have been, been without the team. three of their best five players. Yeah. Oh, Zadarius Smith, too, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, you, you look at what they've had to overcome with their stars not being available. That's also goes into it. And yeah. even though it's not a cumulative award 13 and 3 13 and 3 now 12 and 3 yeah. they've got they've won the division all three years now they're in the one seed they're above teams like tampa bay arizona which was off to a hot start obviously the rams as well coming along like th- like this is i think matt will would be my number one i think um i think frank Reich would be my number two and i think belichick would be my number three the other other name that i think has consistently outperformed expectations is uh, Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. Yes, that, that's a good shout-out. Very good shout-out. It's kind of weird because they've won some weird games in there, and I don't know how meaningful it is. Like, but they won them. Yes. You know? Right? Like the run they had where they, they beat a bunch of legit opponents back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. Then they lost a couple of guys, and the, suddenly the wheels started to fall off and started to fall off against some not-great teams, right? Like, you lose to Houston. That's ridiculous. Not ideal. You not ideal. You beat Jacksonville, but then you lose to Pittsburgh because your team like implodes in the fourth quarter and just mm-hmm. gives them the ball a bunch of times. Like those are not. If they had won those two games, just those two, right? They had the Pittsburgh game in hand, and the Houston game is a Houston game. So of course you should win it. Like if they won those two games alone, I would say he'd be he'd be up there with Lafleur as a front runner. As it is, it takes the luster off a little bit. But I still think you look at this Titans team and you say. Coming into the year, you're like, I'm a little bit concerned about how top-heavy this team is. And they lost all of those players. They yep. lost Henry. They lost Julio. They lost And they're AJ still Brown. in the conversation. Right. And they're still kind of there and hanging around. So. And you obviously, like, you know, I, I said that the, the Dolphins' winning streak wasn't very impressive because of who they were playing. The Titans have a lot of really good wins early on yeah. in the season when they had all their guys. And I think that that weighs a lot more. So it definitely gives uh, Vrabel some 
some credit. One last uh, ad read to get in, then we're done. All right, great. The, uh, the NFL season is winding down. The playoffs will be here before you know it. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, an official sports betting partner, whatever. They are official. Mm. That's all we need to know. Mm. The offers are getting even more amazing. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Don't miss out on this action. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still be part of NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. See, they clarified it later in the it's read. It's good. It's good. Just, just got to listen. Always got to listen and you get the answer. Uh, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm not as good as Steve as the, at the terms and conditions, but I'm getting there. You just got to rattle it off. Got to hit You just got to get real monotone with it and just rattle it off. Yeah, yeah and kind of fire. It's, it's as fast as you can get through it. That's, I think, the key. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've learned from the, ad, the radio Just watch guys. a bunch of uh, auctioneers. Yes. Just, you know, just... Uh, well, no, they, they've taken it to the point where you literally have no idea what to say. I, that doesn't seem to work. Yeah, but I feel like that's the goal, right? No, you it's, it's, it's like got to be like audible, car commercials surely. and like, whatever. Surely if you're giving people legal terms and conditions, you have to at least be able to hear what they are. Yeah, you can't, you I can't mean, just be like. Rrr, look, rrr. look, logically, what are you it's talking fine, about? I said you, it. You and I have both heard some radio commercials that have been. Uh, sorry, what did he say? It's what, true. Was that, I, was that English? It feels like there must be like a legal hurdle, though. You know, like if I just went rrr, 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 done, like surely somebody is going to be like, "There's literally no way." You well, they could. might just not renew you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just be like, "What are you talking about?" I read them out. Like, that's, <laughs> I don't know what more you want. I read the terms and conditions. It's not my fault you didn't hear them. Yeah, go listen to it. Yeah, I, I feels like that's not enough. I think you gotta you got to have something better than that. Um, all right, last uh, last segment, I mm-hmm. guess, because we had a, a guy email in a couple of shows ago, John Serrato, who wanted a bit more structure on the Wednesday show, right? Ah. And structure via segments. Well, hopefully we've structured it. A good and, deal here. and he suggested this segment, which is like every week we should throw a little love towards some players that are getting, you know, overlooked. They're not not getting enough recognition. Okay. So, uh, you got somebody? I do. Uh, Lions wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. Yes. Who I want like to it. shout out here. Obviously, he's had a couple of good games here uh, over the last month. Right now, when you look at him versus other rookie wide receivers, tight ends included, so you can throw Kyle Pitts in there, uh, he's fifth in receiving yards and sixth in yards after the catch. Played over 500 snaps in the slot, and I think he's got almost 150 snaps out wide as well. So versatile. I, you know, he's, his, his home base is in the slot. That's what it was when he was at USC as well. I liked him coming out. I, I didn't think he was a first rounder. I didn't think that he was going to be a top 50 guy or anything like that. But when it came to a slot player, I thought, okay, this guy really knows how to execute these two-way goes, really knows how to manipulate cornerbacks. He's quick enough. He's not blazing fast, but he understands how to play the slot position really well. And when you have him on a rookie deal, obviously it's his first year. Um, I think that that gives you a nice building block for a passing offense as Detroit is still trying to build from the 
the inside out, you know, build, I think, from the offensive line as they emphasize by taking Penny Sewell the way that they did in the first round. I think that they're really trying to emphasize the trenches first under Dan Campbell, and then you get a little bit further outside. So I think that over the next couple of years, they will have their opportunities to either draft or sign a really good outside wide receiver. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown being able to check that box in the slot is a good reason for that. So I wanted to give him a shout out there. Yeah, I think we talked about him on Monday that, you know, in this in this year where, look, Good news, bad news, Detroit. Bad news is we're not even looking at wide receivers, essentially, right? <laughs> There's going to be very little in the way of viable passing game this right. season. We got yes. Jared Goff because it was part of the deal to get a first-round pick. We have no wide receivers, and the offensive line is going to be a work in progress, mm-hmm. right? So bear with us, essentially, was the message this offseason. But the good news is it means there is going to be a ton of opportunities for some wide receiver to put his hand up and say, I am part of your future that wouldn't necessarily get that shot otherwise, right? A guy like Amon Ross Brown may not have got the shot anywhere else, right? right. Would have just sort of been buried on the depth chart, right. would get five snaps here or there, and would have no shot of sort of proving that he is a viable NFL receiver and a guy that can be part of the solution going forward. But in Detroit, there's nobody else. Right. So he's become right. like their number one receiver, essentially, yeah. albeit a number one that you know operates in the slot. But like he's had opportunities there that he wouldn't have had elsewhere, and it's—I I agree with you. I think it's kind of propelled him into being, you know, a real part of that passing game going forward. And a fourth-round pick too, right? I yeah. Mean, like they, they kind of took a chance on this guy, and for as much as I, I didn't think that he was going to be a top fifty player, not somebody who went in the first round or probably the middle of the second round either. I thought, I thought right around the third, maybe fourth round was a really good spot for him. So I thought that them getting him where they did, I think was on the tail end of some really good value for St. Brown. And he's proven, uh, he's proven it to him. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Um, I want to shout out Devondre Campbell. Okay. Linebacker, yeah. Green Bay Packers, who I'm pretty sure he got snubbed for the pro bowl, right? Didn't get, uh, I don't think he I'm got pretty it. sure he got snubbed. Now this is a guy who is playing out of his mind out of nowhere like he he's been in the nfl for a while now 2016 i think was his rookie year um a fourth round pick back in 2016 and there's almost no evidence whatsoever in his career to this point that this year was even possible like right. it was in his range right. of outcomes right. you know he had been not just below average but remarkably consistently below average up until now in his career his last three seasons in uh, atlanta and then arizona so two different spots as well are an overall grade of 57, 50, and 49. Yikes. So basically in the same place, but also slight, getting slightly worse. Um, coverage was, if anything, worse, uh, 51, 41, 52. So not good overall, even worse in the, like, the most important area of being a linebacker in today's NFL, mm-hmm. goes to Green Bay where they basically have no linebackers and ends up being like the rock for them at middle linebacker, the one guy that's playing like all the snaps and doing everything in that defense that runs a ton of sub packages and defensive backs everywhere. And then like Devondre Campbell in the middle, get making the whole thing function. And right now has an overall grade of 82.4 run defense grade of 78 coverage grade of basically 80 numbers are better across the board His passer rating allowed is 10 points lower than it was last year, more than 20 points lower than it was the year before that. Um, he's been making plays. He's been when he's been beaten. They've been less impactful plays. Like they've been shorter catches. They haven't been as. I just he's playing fantastically, and it's 
Like it's almost, not only is that incredible out of nowhere, there was no evidence of this coming, but then he doesn't even make the Pro Bowl. Like yeah. one, the one sort of true off-the-ball linebacker that's actually playing incredibly and doesn't sniff it. Well, uh, is the Pro, Pro Bowl still doing that thing where they just give it to edge rushers, yes. right? They just call them linebackers and they just yeah. they just sort by there sacks are, and they just give it to them. If you, if you uncharitably term Micah Parsons an edge rusher, and there's some logic to it on the basis that like he's there because he has a ton of sacks, not because of his linebacker numbers. So if you were calling Micah Parsons an edge rusher, the Pro Bowl essentially has 13 edge rushers and three linebackers. It's just stupid. Like I, yes. I have, I have yes, no idea is. how we are here in the year 2021, and we are not categorizing these players as interior defensive linemen, edge rushers, and off-ball linebackers. Yeah. Like what the hell are we doing? I mean, it's, 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 it's so easy to do that. Now, th- that would probably leave a lot of edge rushers who are playing really good years not in the Pro Bowl. And sure. maybe that's what it's about. Maybe, I, I, I guess, fan voting probably has sack masters through the roof. And so they just want to get the guys that people are voting for maybe in the game. But it, it, it just... There's got to be something, right? It cannot just be ignorance it, because every single show is having the same conversation. When's the Pro Bowl going to change the roster? When's the Pro Bowl going to— I don't I'm, think the Pro Bowl cares, Right? There's no, like at all. Oh, you just think it just doesn't— they just I don't just don't, like, whatsoever. the Pro Bowl, it's becoming more and more ridiculous as the years go on, right? Like, it is—they've kept the same date in terms of when they're releasing it whilst the season adds a week and sort of, you know, so we're—we are— even if you assume the process was sound to begin with, which obviously it isn't, right. they are deliberately excluding more of a person's season than ever before. So you're like, we don't even care about what you do in the last three games of the year. And they were announcing some of these guys had made it during, I think, uh, the Monday night football game, whatever it was, a couple of weeks ago. So for those players, it's four games that they're not. So that's like a quarter of the season. We're tossing out the window. Stupid. Like if you dominate your Stupid. last four games, forget it. Stupid. We don't care. You, you're not there. Um, so that's like that's crazy. It's like the, the, the yeah. position designation is insane. The fact that there's fan voting at all, like you know, fans are great. That's why we do this whole thing. But you know, they're probably not the best judge of who the best players are. You ever been in a press box for a championship game where they have like media vote for the MVP or anything like that? Have you ever? No. Don't so, think so so um, a handful of us from PFF made the drive up to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan versus Iowa, and. They were doing the thing where the media gets to vote on who their MVP of the game is. You have to have your vote in by the end of the third quarter. <laughs> like what? Right. What? And because obviously, yeah, like when the game is, is over, important. they want to be able to send sure, out the press release right away. Yeah, yeah. So I get it, but it is to your point very funny how it's like. I don't know who the MVP of the game is. We still have the most important quarter of the game to play. Yeah. So it's just that would remind me of that. It was very funny. I mean, the same thing happens, I think, in like in other sports as well. Rugby in particular always does the like, you know, player of the game. And, uh, what the hell do they call it? Player of the man of the match. That's mm. what I'm looking for. Mm. Man of the match. And the man of the Gotta match. Hit the alliteration. Yeah, yeah. Man of the match. Right. Man of the match is, you know, announced very quickly and awarded to the dude. The guy gets his little trophy. Right. But yeah, like yeah. That is in, but way before. Like, they literally announced it on the air with, like, five minutes left in the game. Yes. Important things are going to happen in the next five minutes. Like, particularly in football where, you know, the entire game comes down to the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. Yep. Like, a game-winning drive by a quarterback. You're telling me that doesn't affect what way your vote is swinging here at all? Yeah. No? Yeah. Nothing? Yeah. Like Justin Tucker hitting, uh, what was it, 68 yards, whatever. Right. It was, with that, that field goal. Yeah. And it's like, like oh, here, when, here, here's the player of the game. Lamar Jackson is like. Yeah. Or like. And we all just like, we just brushed off. Yeah. Or like, you know, the 
team gets into field goal range for the the winning attempt trying to drive, you know, and a pass rusher gets like three consecutive sacks, takes him out of field goal range. You're telling me that that didn't affect, you know, who we're going for in player of the game here, the guy that actually determined which way this game was going to go. You and I need now, to start a committee to yeah. just change these things. Dude, I've been trying to I've been trying to work on the all pro people for a while, right? Because there's some the all pro is way better than Pro Bowl, yes. but there's still some pretty major problems with their process. And I've been trying to work on them for a while in terms of like you know, let us help you. This is a rant for another day because I know that we're coming to the close of this podcast mm. and I could go off for probably two hours on this. But uh, the All-Pro and the Pro Bowl not being aligned the way that it needs to be, if that's the reason why Levante David gets held out of what is a pretty phenomenal and might be Hall of Fame career, yeah. I'm going to be mad. Well, that's the thing. I'm going like, to be mad. If anybody... Anybody's still using Pro Bowls as an argument for a guy's career. But we know that that's the mind. case. We yeah. know that's now, the all case. Now, All-Pro is better, but it's still not great. But, like, so, you know, I, we know a bunch of All-Pro voters. You know, we've talked to these guys. And they, they want – because a lot of the – like, some of, their, some of their issues are really bad, you know, and they're very easy to fix. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the guy gets voted All-Pro at two different positions. You're like, that's not because – that's not because he's Micah Parsons, right? And everyone's like, oh, he's an all-pro linebacker and an all-pro edge rusher. It's like, no, it's because people didn't know what to designate him at. And they weren't given any guidance. So mm. we've talked to these guys. We're like, we just want to know what to vote him as. Like, and they won't tell us. <laughs> so, like, the all-pro, so we've been sort of, you know, going back and forth with the all-pro people at times. We're like, how about we just give you you know, we've got the data. We know the snaps. We know where people have aligned. How about we just provide it's the direction? That's like all. The, the position, if you yeah. want to vote J.J. Watt, this is what position he's right. played this right. year the most. Right. That's what you vote him as. And they like, they're like, no, we, we want our voters to, like, you know, come to this conclusion themselves. And yeah, but the problem with that is you end up with this, where you vote a guy at two different positions, not Terrible. through any, like, genius, but Terrible. because you just haven't instructed them where to vote him. And then... You know, the other idea, like the second team, like I can make second team off like the one vote that was left who wasn't the first yeah, team. You know what right. I mean? Like if 49 guys vote player X as, as cornerback number one and then one guy voted player Y, like player X is first team and player Y is second team because there was only one guy left. You know what I mean? Which means by definition... That's so bad. By definition, the second team dude is being nominated by the one idiot who couldn't agree with everybody else. Uh, right? 49 people have come to the conclusion that you were wrong. That's such a bad process. And yet your vote is the one we're listening to here. All pro. Call us. That's what I'm Hit saying. So yeah. we've been working on them for a while. They're not that interested in us helping them fix their process. Uh-huh. But... The offer is always there. Every year it's there. It remains there. Can lead a horse to water. You have my email. You know, <laughs> let us help you. Let us help you. Help me help you. There it is. Tom Cruise. What the hell is the, what's the movie? Jerry Maguire. Jerry uh, Maguire. Help me help you. That's what we're trying to do here. Anyway, that was it, Trev. Thanks for uh, being part of the Wednesday show. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Hopefully it was enough structure for people out there. I know we went on a couple of longer rants. but uh, Look, I don't need any structure, but there are people out there that need more than me. No, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate you having me on the show. Hopefully it's not the last time. Hopefully I didn't blow it. But, uh, yeah, good time. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. Uh, Steve will be back tomorrow, and we will preview all of the week 17? 16? Mm-hmm. No, 16. 17. 17? I think we got two weeks left, right? Wow. Okay, week 17 action. Um, Until then, thanks for listening. Take it easy.